Hey, I want to thank our amazing sponsors at Mules and More magazine. Mules and More has been around a long time. It's a great magazine. And uh, shoot, I've been reading this magazine since I was just a little kid. I remember my dad subscribed to this when I was little and I'd read it every month and loved it. And now uh, our good friend Corey Daniels has taken over as editor of this magazine the last few years and she has done an amazing job um also did you know that meals more comes in a digital format you can download it on your phone read it wherever you're at so hey be sure to check them out mealsmore.com and uh you know hey tell them ty sent you i'd be very grateful mealsmore.com all right Welcome to the Everyday Mealmanship Podcast. Today I am joined by a friend of mine from the land of ice and snow, uh, my friend Karen Lovell from Alberta. Hey, Karen. Hey, Ty. How's it going? Good, good. I um, I sure appreciate you doing this for me and, and with me here, and we're going to have a good time. Oh, well, thank you very much for inviting me on. I'm really um, excited to talk to you and very honored, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, I met Karen. I came up to do a, a clinic in um, Wainwright, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Wainwright up there. Mm-hmm. I just remember it being really cold. <laughs> it was <laughs> yes, really it was. cold. And uh, anyways, it, it was a good clinic and, and everything. But that's where I met you. You came for, I think you came one day there. Or maybe you came two. I can't remember. We were there two days, yeah. A couple of days, <laughs> you know, and we got to say hi and, and everything. And uh, that was fun. And, but other than that, you know, like a lot of people, they kind of know you as a, you know, you, you, you rode around with Brad Cameron for a few years for a while there and, and yep. was his assistant. And a lot of people, people met you at clinics and things with mm-hmm. Brad. And we're going to get into that in a little bit, but anyways, if you could take a moment, Karen, and, and, um, you know, there's some people on here that, that might not know you, um, why don't you introduce yourself uh, tell about your, your meal company and, and everything up there in, in cold Canada. <laughs> All right. Um, yes. Well, we live out in West Central Alberta, right along the foothills. Right now we've got, you know, two or three feet of snow. doesn't get pretty cold in the wintertime. Uh, it gets real nice in the summer, though. But uh, my front window is looking out at the Rocky Mountains, so I'm pretty thrilled about that. I'm only about an hour away from, from the big hills, so... That's good. Uh, we run about 15 head of mules right now. Uh, I've been involved with mules for over 25 years after, uh, you know, kind of having the horse industry and that. So, uh, yeah, just involved with the, the mules for quite a long time. And, um, yeah, I have a full-time job uh, working for the RCMP there for a while. Now, this year, I'm actually full-time on the ranch, so I'm pretty oh, excited about that. Um, just going to work with some more mules and do some more of the crafts and stuff that I, I do here on the ranch. So, yeah. Heck yeah. Retired and inspired, huh? Yeah, retired and inspired. Really actually looking forward to it. I was a little nervous to not have a job right now, but I'm just focusing on on something else. So, it's it's just kind of been a little bit of a life change, and I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Yeah, full time, full time mule rider now. Full time mule rider, and I'm yeah, it's gonna be great. Yeah, haven't had that. I have. Before. I've had. You know, I've got a lot of friends that are in law enforcement and everything, and uh, it's fun. Funny how some of them can relate their jobs to training mules pretty easily, 
and some, and some, you know, they say it's totally different. I guess it depends on the type of mules you're dealing with, right? <laughs> you know, actually, I have to say that working with my mules helped me work in the RCMP detachment. So, and working with the people, it actually I, helped me because of the, the patience that those mules will, will instill in you. So it's, it actually mm -hmm. worked the opposite for me. So that's actually good. Terrible. Good. Yeah. Yeah, hey, you just set it up, make it make it easy to do the right thing, and <laughs> yeah. wrong to do. <laughs> yeah, you don't hard to do the wrong thing. Yeah, the <laughs> it's pretty funny. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I know you, I know you do some some clinics up there, and you 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 help a lot of people up there in Canada. And uh, tell me kind of about uh, what you got going there. What are you doing? Well, we, it's pretty low key here. Um, you know, we'll, we'll offer one or two clinics, uh, a year, maybe there's just really nobody up here in Canada that does that. Mm -hmm. So, um, when people kind of knew that I'd worked with Brad and that they kind of wanted, they were kept bugging me. Can you do a clinic? Can you do a clinic? We really want your help. And I'm like, well, yeah, I can probably get that done. So, um, so yeah, we just offer a couple clinics a year uh, at that, maybe not even that, maybe just one. But I do offer um, private clinics as well, uh, like a weekend if you want to come. If there's something you want to work on, we just specifically work with you and your mule and you get me full time for two days and you can just work on whatever, drill me with all the questions and, and that kind of thing. So, so we do that here um, in the summertime and, and then in the winter, um, just making crafts, making cinches and things like that. So, so yeah, that's what we basically do. Pretty, like I said, pretty low key with the with that. Heck yeah, I've seen some of your cinch your cinch work you post every now and again. That looks like it's uh, kind of fun. Uh yeah, it actually is really fun. Um, you know the winters here are pretty long, and I don't really ride too much in the winter. I don't have an indoor arena or anything. We ride outside. So mm -hmm. when the weather's bad, we just uh, get down into the workroom and start making mohair cinches. And you know, I I know the properties of the mohair and how good they are. So I just want to be able to offer that for somebody else. So that's kind of how I got into it. And it was it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a that's a good thing to do in the winter up there. So so I guess uh, yeah, winter in Canada. So you do that for about eleven months, and then you ride mules <laughs> one month. <laughs> right about that. Yeah, it's dark here really early in the daytime, so you get a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember when I came up to do that clinic in uh, Wainwright or wherever it was, and and uh, you know I came in March or April, and yeah. uh, I remember the host telling me, "Oh yeah, it 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 really warms up." Well, yeah, it warms up like above freezing but that's about it yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it was cold <laughs> it was really cold then and it it doesn't really warm up here the weather doesn't really get nice till may here yeah. really you know you can get the odd nice day in in april but you still get a lot of ice kicking around and mm -hmm. yeah it can be darn cold and then of course it comes back in about october sometimes september so you got a pretty short window here of actually enjoying some pretty good weather yeah, you'll get uh, with that kind of time. You'll get good at making cinches. You'll be yeah. heck yeah. <laughs> I had to have something to do in these long old winters up here. So yeah, I got doing that. So it's been fun. So so kind of back to your your clinics and your lessons and your private clinics and things you do. What um what's the kind of what kind of folks are you dealing with? Kind of what's your demographic of people seeking help up there? Um, are these folks that are really wanting to work on some? some advanced stuff or these beginners just getting into it or is it the kind of a whole spectrum of folks 
Um, it, right now, I'm kind of basically dealing with um, kind of beginners, I guess. Uh, they don't really, some of them will want to get into a little bit of advanced, but not very often. Mm -hmm. They're just uh, having a little bit of trouble with their mules getting going. They're just new into mules, maybe um, working on some issues that they have with you know, maybe them running off or whatever. So, so basically it's pretty, pretty elementary uh, novice kind of stuff that I deal with mostly. Um, I would like to get into more advanced. I really like that because that's, uh, that's when you really learn, but, uh, yeah, it's been good. The, the, uh, the people are, are really eager to learn and they're, they're very keen. And when we have our little clinics up here, they come and they stay in the yard and we offer them, you know, meals and a little get together tent thing so that they can visit with everybody and um, exchange stories. And so it's it's really kind of a, well, some people have said it's like a retreat, I guess. So so I like to involve that people in that. I love that camaraderie of, of, of the whole weekend. People enjoy that a lot. So, so that's been good. And um, yeah, you get some people that really want to learn um and then you get some that are just struggling along but always at the end of the the sessions you always find somebody that's or they all have increased in some way or another so it's all pretty good about that yeah that's pretty fun you know i found that um it's it's pretty easy for your students to kind of dictate your learning as well and so what i mean by that is you know, if you're always kind of working with some, some beginners and you're not pushing yourself, otherwise it's easy to kind of get stuck at that level as well, you know, cause you're never working on the other things. And so I, I make it a priority to, you know, try to push myself outside of, uh, outside of the clinics that way, uh, when, you know, if a, if a student shows, shows up with some desires to, you know, further their education, push a little bit more then uh, I'll be armed with that, that knowledge to share. So, and I, but I know, and speaking of that, why I brought that up is I know you're working all the time on yourself and, you know, uh, um, you know, like you in, in your business of, uh, in law enforcement and, and me and doing what I do, you kind of get good at reading people, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you learn to read people. And so yeah, I can kind I can look at somebody like you and be like, yeah, Karen works at things. She, she's, she's trying to get better otherwise, you know? And uh, so outside of, you know, your, your teaching endeavors, what, what are you doing to get better? You know, cause I know you're probably not content with where you're at. So what do you do at this point to get better and push along and, and uh, improve? Oh, I do all I can. I read, I go to, to as many you know different people and and learn as much as i can it's mm -hmm. very important to always always uh learn things and then you know just getting out into the into the arena or on the trail and just picking up little things and and learning on how to refine things uh constantly working on that just to to make myself better so you know i don't really just always just go down the trail i'm always working on some little thing that i kind of want to hone in on and make it better so and that's extremely important to to go and and better yourself for sure so yeah always working on things and um yeah there's just there's a few people that i follow and so i tend to kind of stick in that realm of people because i really like what they do and i um 
you know, so I learned from them and that's where I kind of want to go. So, yeah, well, speaking of that, so, you know, uh, I wanted to talk about your mentors and people you've learned from. So um, let's back up. Let's back up to the beginning because I've, I've found that uh, everything is intertwined. You know, our mentors can go back as far as, as childbirth, right? So um, tell me, let's go back to your childhood. Tell me a little bit about your, your upbringing, your journey to get that got you into equine, horses, mules, all that. So let's go way back. Tell me about, about growing up. Okay. Um, I actually grew up in central Alberta on a prairie, on the prairies, you know, on a mixed farm. So we had a lot of cattle and a lot of grain and, you know, all the farm animals that went with it, pigs, chickens and that kind of stuff. So we, we had a little small group of horses and I was <laughs> at a very, very young age. I would go out and we had this old horse named Smokey. It was my mom's horse and she'd be standing along the fence. So I just kind of walk on over to the fence, climb up the fence and get on her back and sit on her all day. And I was just little, like, you know, two or three or whatever. And I spent a lot of days just kind of sitting on, on her and enjoying her. And, and uh, then kind of when I got a little bit older, someone would put a, a bridle on her so then I could ride her around, but I still had to go over to the, to the fence and saddle my way up there and ride her around a little bit. And, and so that was kind of fun. And uh, then when I got real brave, then I got to go out of the pen and I'd wander around the fields and stuff. And this old horse, she was kind of fun because if I fell off, she'd just wait for me. But then <laughs> I put back on her because she was like 15 hands. And so I had to walk like sometimes miles before I could find a fence to climb on to get back on. So that was pretty fun. But um, growing up in the flat country, see out here, you wouldn't have to walk very far because there's rocks everywhere. You know, you just yes, walked yeah, just a few feet. A <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our field was pretty flat out there and pretty cultivated. And so, yeah, you couldn't find a rock for, for anything. And, and then when I was nine, my dad decided to buy me this Arab quarter horse cross, two-year-old colt. And I, you know, he kind of helped me kind of get along with him a little bit. And, and, uh, but he said to me, if you can't put the saddle on yourself, then you can't ride in one. I said, Oh, okay. So I, when I came time to ride him, cause I was used to riding this old horse. Um, I, uh, I asked for Christmas if I could get a bareback pad from Santa Claus when I was nine and it must've been a good <laughs> It actually showed up that year and I was thrilled. So now I had a handle. Yeah. You, handle. you found the loophole out of this deal. I found the loophole, man. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. So I, of course I couldn't, I had to get him kind of saddled up to the fence still because I wasn't very big and I get on and we would go with this bareback pad. And of course, a two-year-old Arab cross has got a high, lot of energy. It's, it's, it's pretty, he's pretty got lots of jam. So I fell off. I'm sure every day, for <laughs> every day he'd zig, I'd zag, you know, but I, I was learning some balance though. Mm -hmm. so that, was, that was pretty cool. And, uh, so yeah, then eventually, uh, I guess I have to thank my dad for saying, you know, you can't ride with the saddle till you can put one on, because I don't think I'd be half the rider I am today without that balance of learning how to ride when, without any kind of, you know, any kind of saddle. So that was, mm -hmm. that was, then we kind of got into 4-H and light horse and stuff like that. So we always had horses around, we moved cattle with them and stuff. So 
you know, we were, I was always on the horses, always, um, get off of school and jump on the horse and away you'd go. And then you'd come back and be late for supper and then you'd be in trouble and you know, those kinds of things. But I just spent my life on horses and it was, it was great. Um, yeah. And then kind of jumped forward to, uh, when my kids were little, that's kind of how I, I found the mules. So, um, when the kids were little, we decided, well, maybe something little would be good for them. So we kind of looked into some miniature donkeys for them to kind of play with and feed and learn how to, how to look after animals. So we had them for a while when they were first kind of coming in, in the exotic world. And, uh, that kind of led me to mules. And so when I wanted to kind of get back into riding after the kids were a little bit older, I thought, I'm going to find myself a mule. <laughs> yeah. So I did. I went all the way to BC and it was like a 13 hour trip. And I, like, I found this mule and I talked to the lady quite a bit and I went there and I brought back my first mule. So that was, that was exciting. Her name was Kelly. Kelly. And that's, uh, so that's about 25 years ago. Yeah, that was a long, long time ago. Yeah. And uh, that was my first experience with mules. And I just, I loved them. I remember the uh, the first, I'd only had her for a little bit. And we decided we were going to go out in the mountains and go for trail ride with some friends. So I took her and, uh, of course, it's our first time out. And she, we were climbing up this great big mountain side of the mountain. And the horses were stopping every 10 seconds and wanted to, needed to blow and rest and she just kind of wanted to keep going. And I thought, well, I'm just going to let her go, see what happens. And so she just cut out from the rest. And we just took this nice, even walk pace and walked right to the very top of this mountain without stopping. And I get to the top and she's got like a little bit of sweat on her ears. And I was like, holy. So I waited, I bet you 15 minutes for the rest of the group to show up. And those horses come up and they're all sweating and huffing and puffing and blowing. And I thought, wow this animal is cool this is a cool animal and she just yeah just slow and steady right to the top so it was it was neat that was my first experience trail riding with one. Oh yeah that yeah that would be a that'd be a selling point for sure just to chug up to the top no no big deal and yeah and she didn't run up the mountain she didn't want to go back to the rest she just mm -hmm. had she's just like i'm not gonna stand here and wait for you guys i guess i'll just go so I thought, oh, what the heck? I was like, give her a shot. And then the, the horse guys were like, wow. Because, you know, they, they really weren't interested in what a mule even had to offer. So sure. it was nice riding with those kinds of people where, you know, you just let the mule show what the mule can actually do. So that was, that was heck fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so Kelly's your first, your first mule and uh, she, she totally sells you. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, she, we had her for quite a while, um, did lots of stuff with her, did lots of showing, lots of light horse showing and, mm -hmm. and things like that. And, you know, I still remember riding around in the horse arena. I got the only mule in class and uh, you get the snickers and the, the comments uh, from the sidelines. Oh, look at that mule, whatever. And then, you know, I worked hard because it's important for the mule to show well, because you always have that kind of little bit of a bad rap, you know. And so it was really fun to be able to place in some of them classes. And then the people are like, wow, Don, can I, can you tell me about your mule? I want to know more about this mule. And I thought, well, this is cool because you don't really have to say anything about them. You just let them show what's going down. And 
she was she was quite fun and that just led us to more mules and more mules and me getting into all <laughs> sorts of things with mules so it's it was yeah. a lot of fun mm-hmm. yeah that's pretty neat mm-hmm. so so growing up um or i guess up to this point you know uh you're you, you have kids at this point and everything but who who kind of taught you was your dad was he a influence on you learning or did you have other people you learned from mother who, what's going on there yeah um my dad helped me quite a bit of course he was really you know he had a, a lot going on on the on the farm and stuff but he he got me going kind of started with the mules and then of course very um supportive in 4-h I had uh so my 4-H leader was very instrumental in helping me. Uh, her name was Dorothy Lore, and she was great. She she would just she would teach me all sorts of things that I never knew before, and got me going on lots of things. and And it was it was really good. I was in 4-H for 11 years, and it was it was a lot of fun. Okay. And then she kind of got me into um, the light horse showing. Uh, and then into judging the light horse shows. So I did a lot of competition with um, in 4-H with uh, confirmation and judging and stuff like that. And so that helped me quite a bit along the way as well. So she was very instrumental in, in helping me. And then I just kind of was learning here and there from people. Uh, you know, you'd, you'd listen to things or learn things from other people that maybe you liked or didn't really want to keep going with and that but and that was uh, basically it until till i met brad basically yeah so so growing up on the farm uh around lots of cattle something that i have observed is people that have the opportunity to be around a lot of cattle get really good at reading expressions because when you're working in an alleyway trying to move cow here or there you don't want to get run over you, you better learn to read the cattle pretty quick or you're going to get hurt, mm-hmm. you know, or at, at minimum, things are just not going to go your way if you can't read the cattle. Um, did you guys work your stock on the back of your horses or or what kind of, what kind of way did you guys um, handle your cattle? We actually gathered, we gathered a lot on horses um, mm-hmm. and then we just had, we just ran them through the, we we'd put them into the gathering area and then they would run through the sheets and stuff like that. We didn't do any kind of roping and, and you know, that, that kind of stuff branding them that way. We just would run them through the, through the chute um, just because it was easier for us. Uh, there wasn't, you know, the help you'd get would be here and there and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we weren't all that big. So when we were helping out, we would just uh, run stuff to them, branding irons and things. And then the people would be doing their mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, so we didn't really, we did a whole lot of gathering with them. Um, And then trailing too, uh, we had to, we actually had pastures that were far apart from each other. So we'd get down the road and trail them for miles and miles and miles to the next pasture. So that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, So basically. So so as as you already know, I'm I'm pretty weird. (laughs) (laughs) I I like to experiment with things, you know, and and the cattle... uh, they're easy to experiment on, you know, um, because if you kind of mess one of them up, it ain't as big of a deal as if you mess up your mules or your horses. So, you know, I, I always, always like to play with flight zones. I always like to play around with how can I get these cattle to move out faster? You know, how can I get them to, to walk faster? Because, 
you know, everybody wants to be a cowboy until about hour number two or three. Mm-hmm. And you definitely want to find a new job when it's hour 12 or 13. <laughs> you know, you're, you're like, what am I doing here? And, uh, you know, I, I like to teach, I always like to play around with how, do, how can I get these cattle to move out? You know, and just, just, uh, well, as just the day before New Year's Eve, just a couple weeks ago, I guess, um, I was helping my buddy move some cattle about 12 miles. And these cows, they do get moved often, but they don't get trailed often. And what, and there's difference there, you know, you know, when you got to trail them, you like them to string out more. You don't want them. You don't want to push a big bunch of them. You want them strung out. And so I was trying to, I was trying to do this um, without my buddy so much noticing me because it's not necessarily how he does it. And they're his cows, right? I'm like, okay, this is a long day. We are getting back after dark and it's going to get into the negatives. It's going to be cold, you know? And so I just started kind of working and playing around with that, you know, and traditionally a lot of people drive from behind on cows, you know, and they always push from behind. But if you can get into the middle of that herd and, and kind of push from the middle a little bit and kind of string them out, it, it improves their walk. And so I was working at this a little bit and after I kind of played with it a while, it, it got the cows moving. But, you know, my point to saying this is, you know, a lot of folks, um, you know, if they get the opportunity to be around some stock like that, it sure makes them better horsemen and mulemen and women, you know. And I'm sure whether you realize it or not, having that opportunity you don't to grow up around cattle like that, even if you weren't playing around with them, you're just, you know, moving them here to there. It, it probably taught you a lot more than you think, you know, you, you, yeah. you learn something from them. Oh, absolutely. I love cattle. They're very expressive and you can learn a ton from them. Um, I actually had 50 head of longhorns and um, so I would trail them too. They would come from my place here and go three kilometers down the road to the pasture. And lots of times in the spring, just because I didn't have a lot of help, I would just uh, pair them up and, trailer them down but when they decided to in the fall to come home that i just opened the gate yeah. well longhorns they go real fast so <laughs> they knew exactly where home was so it was pretty intense you actually almost had to get a long trot going just to keep up with them and get them slowed down <laughs> they were just going down the road 90 miles an yep. hour yeah so you'd have to get in front of them and slow them down a little bit but and then after a couple of years they kind of figured it out on their own but uh that was fun. I enjoyed that a lot. I enjoyed the longhorns. They were a lot of fun. Oh yeah. And those, those hotter bred cattle, they can teach you a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not near the docile dopey black Angus cow, you know, um, or the Hereford They're, You know, those longhorns and like the Coriannis, that kind of stuff, they, they got some heat to them. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I liken everything to mules and it's just, just like the different braids of mules, you know, use, you were sharing your about your your colt growing up that Arabian quarter horse colt and everything, and you know you get different levels of energy depending on these breeds, and it's the same thing with those cows. Mm-hmm. And so if yeah, if you can learn kind of how to deal with them and how to work through it, it's pretty neat. So what did you do with your longhorns? Were these uh, kind of novelty items up there? Because <laughs> like, or or is, are you raising some some beef, or what are you doing with them? Yeah, we were raising a little bit of beef. I would sell them mostly to ropers and. And mm-hmm. people who want 
uh, to do some team roping in that. That's basically what they kind of sold for. Um, yeah, and I just, you know, I always really liked Longhorns. I started with eight, ended up with 50. So <laughs> <laughs> it kind of grew on their own. It was kind of crazy, but I really enjoyed them. And then, you know, life kind of changed. So we just got out of the, the Longhorns. I, I have a couple of little highlands here. They're a little bit more suited for the winter weather. The, the Longhorns, the they got pretty darn cold up here. They really I, did. I bet yeah. they did. Yeah, yeah, those poor buggers. They wish they had more hair. Yeah. For sure. And the islands I got, they're really long hair, so they're pretty fun. But uh, I just, yeah, just play around with them. That's just something to have. Yeah. Well, that's good. I, I like I like cattle. I like playing around with them. You learn a lot. <laughs> yeah, they're um, fun. So let's, uh, let's get back to your your lifespan here. Um, so you mentioned, okay, you kind of got into the mules there and, and you, you learned from some 4-H, uh, 4-H folks and, and your mm -hmm. family and everything. And then, and then you said you really started learning when you got around Brad. So how did you, how did you discover Brad? How'd you find him? I found him. So when we had the, the little mini donk, donkeys and then I decided to buy a mule I kind of joined the the local club here in Alberta and they were hosting they had hosted Brad to come up here for the very first time and I thought I'm going to that because I need to learn so I packed up and the kids came with me and I had this colt and we went to his very first um clinic here in Canada it was um was it in pigeon lake or somewhere central alberta and it was cold too it, it, i don't think it was snow on the ground but it was awfully cold and so he came up and sherry was with him and and it was great you know here he is with dally he was riding dally and um we're just in awe of this man because he could get some stuff done and it was so exciting and we learned you know of course everything that he does the groundwork and and uh, getting my colt started and and it was exciting and I come home and I'm like man this guy's great he knows so much stuff so I was practicing all year and I'd go back the next year and I'd realize how much I didn't know what I was doing and <laughs> have to hone in on the, the halter driving was was always the fun part but uh, so I went to his clinics of course we only got him once a year up here so he every year for seven years I attended his clinics until then I ended up hosting his clinics because the, the club kind of had a bit of a falling out. So I ended up uh, hosting his clinics on my own. So that's how I discovered him was he would come up here once a year and I was, I was keen to want to learn. I got all his videos and mm -hmm. you know how it goes. Yeah. So that's, that's how I met him. And what then year, just, so, uh, so what year, sorry, what year was that, that you, that you met him? Do you think, do you remember? Oh my goodness. Uh, wow. It's going to be mid nineties, I guess. Late I don't know exactly what year, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. Exactly. Mm. Sorry. Yeah. That's all <laughs> well, right. I, I remember that mule too. That was a really cool mule. And, mm -hmm. uh, he'd get a lot of cool stuff done on it. You know, that was pretty, pretty neat. Yeah, he really did. He got he got a ton done with her. And um, so, yeah, it was very impressive to watch, especially for for us people that never really, you know, there's nobody in Canada that does anything like that. So so that's where I wanted to go. I thought this guy's got some stuff I want to learn. 
I want to know it. And, you know, you think you know it and then you go back and realize, no, we don't know it. <laughs> <He's> learning, <laughs> learning. And then he, he knew I wanted to learn more. So then in the later clinic, he would, he'd push me, he'd push me to go, you know, this is what I want you to learn today. Get, get with it. And so I would, and, um, you know, especially the groundwork stuff. And then in the saddle too, I wanted to learn more. I wanted my animal to just be what Delhi was like. I want, I, I want that. I want to see that. So I had a thirst, man. I was, I was in, I, I wanted to do this. So then I, yeah, I just basically said, Hey, you know, I really want to learn some more if you ever have a need to have some help. So that's kind of how that yeah. went. Yeah. You know, I just, I just have thought that we better say his last name. So we're talking about Brad Cameron, um, out of Montana and Brad was on my podcast, uh, this past the summer of 2022. So, um, I can't remember. I should, I should have wrote down what episode that was, but I don't remember off the top of my head anyways. So you listeners out there, that's who we're talking about. Brad Cameron, pretty cool dude. So anyways, Karen, so you, you've, uh, you attended his clinics for quite a few years and you start hosting his clinics. What was, what was hosting like? That's a total different deal. There's a big difference in just a, just showing up and attending a clinic and just having fun and hosting clinics. That's quite a bit of responsibility. How'd that go for you? Yeah, that was a lot of responsibility. Um, uh, you know, getting the, the publicity out there and advertising and, and getting people registered and finding the, the location that was kind of central for people to, to host it and stuff like that and making sure, you know, you kind of have a nice social night and maybe some giveaways and things like that. So yeah, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but it was, it was good because I, I didn't want him to not be able to come up here. That was my important thing. I wanted him to make sure he came up here. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of work, working, uh, doing that, but I enjoyed it. Every minute of it was fun. It was a great weekend. Yeah. Well, you know, being a clinician, I sure appreciate people like you that want to host and, and and do that because, you know, you, uh, yeah, without hosts, we, you know, clinicians don't exist. <laughs> There's got to be somebody to host it. Yeah, basically, so. it's it is a lot of work, but uh, yeah, it's all good for everybody, and everybody really enjoys it. So it's always yeah. good. Mm -hmm. So, how did you decide to start traveling, with Brad, and and working with him and and assisting him? Well, when he would come up to Canada, you know, the odd time, he wouldn't have any help with him. So he'd say, hey, can you help me out with this or that? Or just a little bit of things. Just to, I think he was just testing me to see what I would do and could mm -hmm. do. So then, you know, I, I said, uh, I really, really want to learn more. I said, if you're, if you're ever, you know, short of help or whatever, I, I'd be interested. And I think it was about three months later and he gave me a call and he said, hey, I've got a couple clinics. Um, two clinics, actually, I need some help with. Would you be interested? And I'm like, oh, yeah, very much. So um, that's kind of how it got started. I ended up, I drove down without my mule. I didn't have my mule this time. It was just two clinics. So I drove down to Montana and jumped in the truck. And we headed to Ignacio, Colorado. That was the very first clinic I'd ever been to. And um, we went there and then another clinic in Cody, Wyoming. And it was it was good. It was, it was fun. So hosting his clinic up here in, in Canada, I kind of knew what the, 
you know, setting up the tables and registering people and getting all that done. I, I knew all that. So that was okay. And I knew his products. So that was, that was good. Um, so I just kind of manned the booth there and was talking to people and then making sure that he had the things he needed, his flags and, you know, sacks and things that he, was, he needed. And then every once in a while he'd ask, you know, can you come out here and give me a hand? And so I'd go out and help him out in the, in the clinic doing, mm-hmm. you know, some groundwork or working with somebody's mule or getting something saddled that couldn't get saddled and things like that. So that was, um, that was exciting for me. That was really exciting, but it was also terrifying because here I am with him and I'm, you know, just in the, in the public eye and he's mm-hmm. watching me to see that I don't screw up because I'm representing him and his company. And I was, I was petrified. I, I remember the, the very first clinic and there was this guy, he was a, a fairly large guy. He was a big, big burly guy. And he was having some troubles with his mule for some reason. I don't know. He couldn't, couldn't get it saddled very well. And so he had me work with this mule and work with this mule. And, and then uh, he says to me, well, you can just throw that saddle up there. So I threw that saddle up there and I, but I was like panicking because I thought, oh man, what if I don't get this done and I'm going to look kind of bad. So I had to really get on my game and I hucked that saddle up there and got it up there. And he was, he was watching me. He was like two feet away from me, watching me the whole time. Man, I was sweating. (laughs) It was crazy. (laughs) It was fun. I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, you just, just, I'm like, I can do this. I know how to do this. I've saddled lots of coals. I can do this. Mm -hmm. it was fun. Yeah. So those two clinics. And then um, I had the summer off and he said to me, if you want to do the fall run with me, you can bring your meal and uh, we can teach you some things. So for um, so in exchange for working with him, he would give me instruction. So I was like, I'm in. I want to come. And that just uh, was exciting for me. It was a long time away from home, which was really difficult, but it was something that I was so fortunate to have and I wanted it so bad. So, so here I go, got my mule loaded up, head down to Montana and out we go on uh, the first clinic was, uh, I think we're in Colorado, the first one, but then we went all the way to Pennsylvania and Virginia and Georgia and all these places. And it was just phenomenal. Well, here's this little country bumpkin uh, from Canada and never been out of Alberta. And I'm seeing the vast uh, places in the United States for the very first time. And it was, it was, it was unreal for me. And Brad, he would laugh at me all the time. Cause I'm, I'm like, I've never seen a raccoon and I'd never seen all these things and all these animals and all these places. And it was, I was just like a kid in a candy shirt store. I was wide eyed and, and all these places that I could see and go by. And it was, it was really neat in that aspect. For yeah, sure. I bet. Well, I, I, I've totally feel for you. And I just grew up here in Utah and, and didn't get out a whole lot, you know, as a young child, but when I started rodeoing, then I got out and about in the Western U.S., but it wasn't until I started the clinics that I got to travel the whole U.S. and all these places in Canada and Australia and everything. And But, yeah, there's a lot to see out there. It's pretty neat. That's that's one of my favorite parts of, of this job is being able to just see it. And, I, and, I've, and I've come to love 
all the different parts of the country. You know, I, I appreciate a little time there. And it's kind of like I, I tell some folks, you know, I, I live everywhere for just a few days at a time. <laughs> you know, I I live there for, you know, three or four days and I live here for three or four days. And and it's fun to see that country. So so how how long did you did you go down the road with, <laughs> with Brad? I worked for Brad for six years off and on. Wow. Um, yeah. So I would do the odd clinic and then um, I'd come back. Lots of times I would have my meal or sometimes I wouldn't, it, depending on how long we were gone for or what he needed. Um, I know I did fly to Ohio once and met him there for a clinic and then um, those kinds of things. So I would fly every once in a while or I'd fly back to from, from places. Um, and he, I know one time he, I flew back and he brought my animals back. I had to come back early. And so he ended up bringing the animals back to Montana for me. So, mm -hmm. so it, it was good. Um, so yeah, six years off and on. And it was, it was great. I, I had such a thirst for knowledge and I tried so, so hard and it was really great because I learned so much about people and so much about meals and so much about myself, so much about my timing and, and how much I didn't know, you know, it was crazy. I, when I first took off, I'm like, I can do this. I'm okay. And then I realized just how much I didn't know. It was phenomenal. I'm like, man, I, I'm just scratching the surface here. I, there's so much to learn out there that I had no idea. So it was, it's oh yeah. Great. Yeah. It's it, that, that old saying that the more you, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. And uh, that is so true. And and I totally feel for that, you know, as I, as I go around and I like to push myself and I like to go to different, um, I, I like to step into different uh, disciplines and cause I just kind of feel like a new kid, <laughs> you know, you feel like the new kid there and you, you show up and, and, and I've hung out around all kinds of different things, you know, everything from, you know, raining, cutting to dressage work and, and all the, you know, you just, just show up somewhere different and you realize how much you don't know mm -hmm. um, when you get to be that new kid. So that's pretty neat. So tell me some of the, you know, you just said you learned a lot and everything. And so tell me some of the, the lessons or, or do you have any stories when you, you know, was going down the road like that, that um, do you remember any particular, you know, things that come up that get your mind Um, kind of where this starts is I, I, I don't know all the time I see you, um, people interacting with you on social media and they'll say, Oh yeah. I remember when you came to this clinic and this meal did that. And you're like, Oh yeah, I remember that, whatever. And anyways, I think that's really fun. Um, do you have any stories in, in mind that, uh, where lessons were learned? Like, is there any, any, anything you, you can think of there? Lessons were learned on my behalf. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe you learned a lesson or maybe, the, <laughs> maybe the participant learned a lesson and, and, and you learned it too, but do you have anything in mind that, would be fun to talk about oh yeah you know there's there's uh, it seemed like every clinic there was something that would go down and happen right and um yeah there was just a I don't know if nothing really really certain comes to mind there was just always a lot of of antics going down um <laughs> yeah, the antics, oh, yeah yeah so what, what's uh you know, what's some of the weird I guess to, to help trigger your mind a little bit what is what was one of the biggest wrecks you've seen? You know, wrecks have a way of staying with us, whether we were in the wreck or somebody else was. 
what was one of the biggest wrecks that you saw that you're like, okay, I'm never going to do that. Oh, it was actually up here in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were working, we were roping, doing some roping. And, uh, this guy, he had a, a bit of trouble with his mule. He was kind of trying to rope and it just blew up and was bucking all over the place, ended up hurting him pretty bad. Like he, he had a pretty bad wreck. And, uh, yeah, I was like, okay. You know, he just kind of got tangled up in ropes and they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he got, he got prayer. So that was crazy. Uh, we actually did have a lady in the cold starting and I can't remember if this was down in, I don't know, somewhere in the mid us and she was on a cult and it, you know, did Brad's always got you dallied up to him. So he's not going to really go anywhere. But he kind of did a little bit of hop and she come over backwards and ended up breaking her wrist. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was kind of, um, I don't really know if there's anything, uh, anything else there's other you know it just kind of happens every once in a while the odd thing will happen but uh uh, there was lots of lessons learned i think every clinic there was a lesson learned yeah yeah for sure Mm -hmm. you know you you mentioning about the 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 fellow roping that got in a wreck you know if there's ropes involved there's gonna be a mule getting tangled up in it somewhere you know no matter Mm -hmm. what whether you're packing or roping cattle or whatever you know you're gonna they're going to get tangled up and, you know, pre- getting them prepared for that is, is crucial. One of the biggest things that, that I've learned from Brad, you know, in the past was, was preparing the mule, getting them, yeah. getting them ready for things, you know, and that was such a concept that seems, I, d- I don't know why people can't get it <laughs> because yeah. it's, it's hard, yeah. but you know, a lot of people are like, well, let's just, let's just try this. You know, I, I, I realized when I break down things that I do, that I, I really don't try things. And, and that might sound funny because I'm always trying to get people to explore, but I don't necessarily try like just out of the air. Oh, let's try this with the mule. It's, it's thought out. And, and if I'm going to do something with the mule, I have prepared them for it. I've, I've at least done something and, you know, and, and Brad was a big part in that. Not any one time or anything, just just his teachings, you know, prepare him, get him ready for this, get him ready for that. And a lot of his mentors teach that too. You know, his mentors were, you know, uh, Buck and and uh, Tom Dorrance and all them fellas. And, you know, they're always talking about that. You, you get you get the horse ready, get the mule ready. You know, you, yeah. you prepare them. And, and that's so important. You know, wrecks can happen and, and stuff. And But if we prepare, it sure seems to dwindle a little bit. You got any thoughts on that? Oh, very much. I'm, I'm right on board with you. I always prepare my animals for things. And it really, it's really mind boggling to me where people are like, well, we're going to pack this mule today and you just throw the packs on and hope for the best. And while the mules just all over the place, you got your <laughs> tail down the trail. And I'm like, well, if you would uh, help that poor mule out a little bit at home, yeah. learning that a little bit more, then he probably would have been a whole lot easier. And, um, especially for mounting and things like that, you know, you don't just, uh, you don't hop on and hope for the best and preparing them for their future in every little walk that you do is, is crucial for them to be with you on board mentally, physically, and in any other way. Yeah. Well, you know, I say, I, I, you know, that's what I promote is to prepare them. 
but I, I have to say also that I, I've done, I have done plenty of poor job at preparing meals too. You know, there's, there's been a lot of moments that I go, Oh, well, didn't do a good enough job there. <laughs> you know, I need, oops, I better go back and fix that. And, and, you know, every, every meal is unique. Every horse is unique. And, and that's what, well, that's what keeps it fresh for me really. Um, and just cause yeah. I, just cause I preach it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm perfect at it either. You know, it's just things I'm working <laughs> to. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm the same way. I, some days I think, well, that didn't really go as I really wanted it to, or I had planned or why wasn't I thinking about this today or whatever, but I do always have Brad's uh, voice in the back of my head sometimes when I'm riding and, you know, I'm, I hear him saying, you know, do this, do that, do, do what you need to do and get this animal ready. And I, you know, I did a really bad wreck on a mule and, and, uh, you know, the, I had a phone in my pocket and he was always telling me, you know, and preached to all his people, um, when you were sitting on the fence, like get them used to the sounds, turn on your phone, get it to ring, get it to do this and that. And so I had a colt and I was way back and back 40 and my phone went off. Well, that, that didn't go well for me. That didn't go well at all. So I, the phone went and I went and then, then the, the mule took off and I, so then I called Brad later and I talked to him and he said, what did I teach you? And I said, yes, I remember what you taught me. <laughs> that really didn't go well for me. And I'm sorry, I should have been listening to you. Yes. I, yeah. yeah a lot of things that you really, you just kind of get going in your everyday and kind of forget about what you shouldn't, you should always be on your game. You should be remembering and, uh, Anyway. Yeah. You know, going down the road for, for me, it seems like, uh, you know, there gets to be common themes that come up, um, at different times, you know, like maybe I'll have a few months and it seems like I get a lot of this issue or this, this theme or this type of question or that, and, you know, it changes, but it seems that they kind of roll like that. And I, and I can't figure out whether it's me, the way <clears throat> I'm teaching that causes those things to come up, you know, like a, <clears throat> excuse me um like uh you know maybe the way i'm presenting something will will cause a question to come up um and that does change but did you uh you know going down the road with brad and and just in in your clinics as well the things that you do do you see common themes that seem to come up over and over again things that need to be addressed common problems common um whatever that uh as you go yes uh, yeah, I do. I do see a lot of um, people that don't, they just don't have that. They don't understand the, the softness that they need, that they think um, the mule, you need to get right in there and hang on to them and be stiff with them and, and really, you know, aggressive where you, if you just calm yourself down and be really light, they just kind of fold right in with you, especially in your halter driving and things like that. Um, you know, so I, I do find people where they have to be a little bit more, not so aggressive, but more laid back and maybe feeling a little bit more for what's, what's going on with their animals and that. But sure. that that's, is, that's really hard to teach, you know, that, yeah. that's super hard to teach. It's not something you can't sell it. You can't bottle it up and give it to somebody. Um, really the only way that they get to learn that is by experience. They, they have to figure it out on their own. You can say things that might help them along mm -hmm. the way, but that's, that's challenging. So what, what are some things that you, what are some ways that you 
explain that to people? Like, how do you get it across to people that, you know, we don't have to be so darn heavy. Uh, we don't have to pull them around. We can, you know, offer them a different lightness. How, how do you, how do you like to explain that to your students? Well, I always use my animals as an example, I guess, but I, you know, if you just uh, show them that you don't really have to be hanging on to something like that, you can just kind of leave the, the, the line loose in your hand and just kind of pick it up and they'll just kind of follow around, you know, that's the end goal for you and that that's attainable, um, that and, and your body position and things. Yeah, it is very difficult to, to teach and, and stuff, but hopefully they, they go home and with a little bit more knowledge of that, but it, it is difficult, like you say, to teach just kind of by example and get them out there and doing it a little bit more. And then it, it seems to get a little bit better anyway. Mm -hmm. um, there's a story that I was reading about somebody helping or Tom, Tom Dorrance helping somebody. And I don't remember all the details, but I remember this part. He was trying to get them to do less, like to, to, to get this job done by doing less. And mm -hmm. the person would do something and he'd say, okay, now just try to do a little less. And then they'd do a little less and they'd come back and he'd say, okay, try a little less than that. And they'd go work and okay, a little less than that. And finally, um, the fella says, well, I didn't, I didn't even do anything. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything. And Tom Dorrance says, go ahead and cut that in half and see if that works. <laughs> <laughs> like just do, do that much less, you know, and, and his point was, you know, see how little you can do and, mm -hmm. and always and do less sooner. That was one of the, my favorite lessons uh, that yeah. I've read of from Tom is do less sooner, do less sooner. Um, and uh, you just mentioned, uh, and people can't see your video. This will be audio only, but you just held up your hand and you had an open hand kind of demonstrating how you would guide the mule mm -hmm. with the mm -hmm. rein with an open hand. And even that is something that a lot of folks, um, not that they're trying to be heavy with the mule. I, I think a lot of people want to be like, I mean, that's why they're at a clinic. That's why they're learning, but they, they don't even realize you can just say, Hey, well just open your hand and see if you can get it done. And just mm -hmm. that closed hand might be enough to cause some brace. And if they just would open their hand, um, one of my, one of my other mentors besides Brad is Martin black. And the way he described holding your reins, uh, has really helped me and help a lot of my students. Cause I passed on to my students and, and he says, cradle the rain, you oh, cradle, yes. cradle mm -hmm. the rain. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, everybody can picture cradling something, cradling a baby or whatever, or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a cupcake in your hand, you know, whatever <laughs> you, you kind of cradle it, you know, um, you know, and I've heard other people describe it, like Sally Swift and her, she has a book centered writing and, mm -hmm. um, she talks about baby birds, holding baby birds in your hand. Don't squish baby birds, you know, and, and that'll, anybody that likes animals, that would make them, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, don't, don't want to squish the baby birds. You know, that makes them think. And, and so those are some things that, uh, you know, I like to share with folks when you're trying to teach that likeness is, is you're, there's always less, you can do less, figure out how to do less. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know with mine, it was, uh, Brad said, your reins are attached with a thread. Yeah. Your reins are attached to the threads. So don't break the thread. So yeah, and you know that that's a cool that's a cool comment you just made because you know something the the vaqueros would do in old California. Um, they would tie little a little piece of twine like that, or they'd even grab a a single strand of tail hair, and they would tie 
their Rimmel reins uh, to the bit. So therefore the, the rain chain was not being used and, and they try to operate off that. And it was kind of a show off deal. Like at the fair, you know, like mm-hmm. at the county fair type of deal. They did go show off, but see how, how much you could do without breaking that single strand of hair. Think about how fragile a, a strand of tail hair is. And these oval cares would go show off that way. And, yeah. and so, yeah, that's a great comment. And uh, that's it, a, it's a historical comment, really. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It helped me uh, learn my softness a lot. Yeah. yeah it really- pretty happy with that one so i want to talk a little bit more about your mulemanship um there's very few people like you out there that are interested in making bridal mules like i am you know that is my passion i i am a a bridal mule nerd (laughs) okay so you know that's my goal that's uh you know and it's all about how how little i can do um so some people would say that's pretty lazy yeah i agree i'm very lazy i want to see how little i can do and how much i can get and um, anyways, this whole bridal meal process is, is, has that at the forefront of it. So, you know, I know you like that process. So um, talk a little bit about, so, so I imagine, did Brad get you interested in making bridal meals and going to the snaffle and the hackamore and all that? Yes, he did. He did. Um, for sure. I, what I really wanted to do and how it kind of got started for me was when we first uh, struck out with a mule with my mule on that uh, nine weeks of the, the clinic run that we did I said you know what I really I really want to learn how to ride with the Bozelle and he said well, okay first clinic he takes the bridle off my snaffle bridle off and hands me a hackamore and says here you go and <laughs> now and he goes yeah so I, I was just riding around in the clinic with everybody else just kind of doing left and right getting my mule kind of used to this hackamore and me too mm-hmm. so that that was kind of right out of the chute, the very first clinic when we left. And so I had all that time to kind of get him going with Ackmore. And, and it was, it was crazy. I had to work at it. I really had to work at it. Cause I, I wasn't, um, I was used to the snaffle, which, you know, the hackamore is totally different than the snaffle. So, you know, you have to change everything and you have your hands have to be active and they have to be totally in a different situation. So, and my mule too, you know, he didn't know what was going on. So him and I are learning together and it was, it was phenomenal. So I just loved it. And then progressed from there into the, to the half inch, two rain and into the full. So it was pretty great. Yeah. It's a great process. You know, I teach my students, um, when it comes to learning the snaffle and the hackamore business that you, you have to operate the hackamore the way you should operate the snaffle bit. Correct. Um, you know, cause your angles should be the same, but there's, you know, the snaffle is really, really a forgiving tool for, for all involved, you know, where the hackamore is, is not so much forgiving, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, what, what's your, what's your, is that your favorite progression is the hackamore or what, what do you like for me? I, I really love the snaffle bit mostly because, you know, I'm teaching my mule, everything in the snaffle bit. And, um, and then I really like the two rain process. Um, do, do you have a favorite progression snaffle hackamore two rain bridle? What, what's your favorite? Uh, I really like the two rain for sure. Um, yeah, I, that transition for me was, was pretty exciting because yeah. well, either you're going from this the hackamore into the bridle and it's, it was, it was great for me. Um, so yeah, I'd have to say the two rain for me was, was the, the neatest. Of course, when you get into the full, it's, ah, yeah, that's nice too. So. Yeah, it is really nice. And then, 
it is really nice. And then you're ride for a week and you're like, all right, well, I'm bored. I better start another one. <laughs> yeah. Um, typically we, I store them all in snaffles, but if they're for myself, I'll start them with Akamar. They mm -hmm. don't ever snaffle first. They just see the Akamar. Away we go. What, what are some differences you see in, uh, when you start your meals in, in, in the Hackamore instead of in the snaffle, what are some, some, uh, behavior or or issues that you see difference in their handle and things like that oh they just uh well at first you know you kind of just have to get them used to what's what's happening there and and go on and yeah they they just um they um you know they pick up on things fairly fast as well and they're softer and and that kind of stuff so yeah i'm really i like that yeah. You know, I've, I've experimented, you know, you're getting the idea. I'm a, I'm a mad scientist, you know? <laughs> so, all right, well, let's start some meals in the hack more. Let's start some meals in snap a bit and see what we got. And, you know, I, when I used to train for the public, I had all kinds of white rats <laughs> to work on, you know, just, just all kinds of stuff to play with. And so I would, and, um, you know, I found pretty quick that I was, I was a little weak on starting them in the hack more. When I started in the Hackamore, I I would get them bracy, and and I realized over a period of time that was because I was, you know, well I was pulling quite a bit and my timing was off, and then the snaffle bit I was being forgiven of that, and I thought I was doing pretty good. And the Hackamore, the Hackamore tells all the truth, you know, the Hackamore does not hide anything, and no, and I found that, so I said, all right, well I better go back and work on all that stuff before I ruin more meals. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but it is fun, you know, and, and, um, you know, a lot of people ask, well, what's right or wrong. There's no right or wrong, you know, um, you know, on, on my side of the hill, I live in the great basin. It's snaffle, snaffle, then hackamore, then your two rain, then your bridle on the other side of the hill in the California, um, you know, they, they start in their hackamores and, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with that, you know, but, uh, you know, the only other thing I see difference is some of the, the particular, um, you know, refinement pieces later on down the road. If you do a good job on a snaffle, but I feel like you get a bit more refinement than the hackamore, just, just some better, you know, uh, some elements of flexions seems to be more precise and all that. But anyways, that's why I asked which, if you saw much differences in, in starting your cults in the hackamore or in that snaffle bit. And, yeah. But. Typically, like I said, we're usually snaffle bits. I, I've done a few of them in the hackamore, but uh, yeah. And then yeah. I haven't trained too many for myself lately. So I, yeah, I'm mm -hmm. not far. So. Yeah. So besides, besides Brad, after you get done working for Brad and everything, um, what did you work for him up until he, until he retired or did you? Basically more clinics after i quit working for them there i yeah i kind of had to come back get a get a real job <laughs> and uh yeah so he did a few more clinics after that i think and then basically retired into his leather work that he does now so um yeah so you know, i just went to work and um that's kind of what he did so so you ended up buying brad's saddle business well you bought his whole business you bought all his the the rights to sell his videos and his videos and, and all that. So how did that come about? Um, yeah, he was trying, he wanted to kind of get out of his, his business and uh, get more into the saddle making or uh, the strap work that he did. So he asked me if I would be interested and I said, yeah, I'd be interested. 
I'd be interested in that because I knew it all. I knew all his stuff. I knew all his videos. I sold it for years, so I knew it all. And I was with him when we uh, when we designed the two saddles that he was selling. So I knew all about that too. We were at the tree makers, at the saddle shop, everything. I was all involved in that. So, um, and the saddles were, you know, very important to continue on with because it they fit good and they they were great for the mules and great for the riders and they were just a really good product so i knew what was what was coming and so yeah i ended up uh taking that on from them and it's it's been a bit of a challenge i have to say because of i live in canada and a lot of it goes to the united states so that's saddles are made in the united states so that that's been a bit of a struggle for me with with the business for sure yeah but i uh, the saddles we do just custom order now instead of having them on on stock so because because they're hard to there's just a bit of expense to to keep for too long so yeah so how how does somebody find your find your company and and order a saddle from you what's tell tell us your website oh my website is rockymountmules.com so you can find them there and uh all the specs are there my and my and how you can order them. And then all the videos are also there. And my cinches and breast collars, britching, all sorts of things are on the on the website. Sweet. So mm-hmm. they can go right there and they can uh, customize their saddle there and order it up. And Yeah, or they can give me a call as well and I can give them a quote. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, they're pretty easy to, pretty easy to do. Sweet. And you know, they're really nice saddles. We put a lot of them out on the market and they're, you can never find them used ever. And if you do, they're gone in like 10 minutes. Yeah. So. Yeah. You don't see them. You don't see them uh, for sale hardly ever. I, cause I always, you know, I always look at the local, um, you know, the local tack and saddle listings here, like in Utah, just, you never know what might pop up, whatever. And yeah, never see, never see those for sale, but I see them at my clinics all the time. There's a lot of folks that still use them and you know, I get a lot of Brad students um, that used to attend his clinics down here in the U.S. and and I get a lot of those students that are coming to me and everything and and uh, so that's been that's been pretty fun. Um, a little intimidating at first because I'm like, well, oh, I know you went to went to Brad's clinics. What am I going to teach you that that you know <laughs> that you didn't already learn from Brad? That's been intimidating and I still oh. get I still get a lot of his students and you know I get a a lot of uh, Ray Hunt students. And mm-hmm. they're, they, you know, they intimidate me, but the ones that really intimidate me are the folks that have attended Tom Dorrance's clinics. And I have, yeah. there's a, I have one guy in North Carolina that he comes to my clinics every year and he, he attended Tom Dorrance's clinics. And I always feel like that I get more from that guy than he gets from me. Cause I always <laughs> just sit and ask him questions about how Tom was. I never got to meet Tom Dorrance in person. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was just a little bit before my, not my time, but my mulemanship time, my horsemanship time, where I was really interested in actually learning just mm-hmm. a little bit before that, you know, and uh, that was one fellow I wish I could have, I could have met and everything. But speaking of that, um, besides Brad, who, who were some of your other mentors, um, if people you, you look up to, you learn from, I mean, it could be people you've met going to go to clinics or books or any of that. Do you have some folks you look up to? Uh, yes, actually uh, Buck Brandman for sure. I've attended a few of his clinics up here in Canada. And of course, uh, you know, he was uh, instrumental in, in teaching Brad some things too. So yeah, I really enjoyed his clinics and learning from him. Um, the Californios, I did learn from them too. 
doing a little bit of roping and stuff. So there, there are some, some pretty great ropers and I learned mm. from them. They were able to come up to Canada and I was able to attend them too. So those are the two or three, I guess, with, along with Brad, uh, that uh, I kind of follow along and, and like. Absolutely. So what do you, what's a common, uh, what's a common thread among these, these people that inspire you? You know, I, I obviously know that, yeah, if you, you can kind of trace their genealogy back and it's similar horsemanship and mulemanship, but what, what catches, what catches your mind? Like, why are you attracted to these, these people teaching this style of horsemanship and mulemanship? What gets you? I think they just have a genuine care for the animal that they're riding. Yeah. They have a genuine understanding and, uh, and, and want to make that animal um, better and, and themselves better. So I just feel that they, they have a genuine feeling and compassion for the animal that they're working with. And that's, that's where I want to go. The, the most important thing for me is my mule I, and the mules. I love the mules. The mules are uh, a fantastic animal. And, um, I just feel that they, you know, there's so much in them that they can give us. And uh, that's kind of why my journey is with the mule. Don't even own horses. They're just like the mules. So that's, and that's what, cool. Yeah. And that's what I think that my mentors have for me that I love to follow. That's where I want to be. That's my passion. And that's the people I want to follow. I totally agree with you. You know, um, that's important to me, you know, um, you know, and I know I've quoted a lot of Tom Dorrance stuff but just because I'm, a big fan of his he's great and he would say you know mind body and he'd say spirit and a lot of people leave that out there's a lot of folks teaching you know you could you could say the the same the same style generally of of horsemanship as he taught but a lot of them leave out that spirit part and that's important to me these are a a a real being this is a to, to me it is a it is a spirit in there it's a it's a being it has thoughts and feelings like you and i and and i believe that i live by that and mm-hmm. and you're right these these mentors you're talking about that you just mentioned they teach that too they 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 have presented that that this mule is not just a ma- machine it's not just a robot it's not an input output thing and a lot of people treat it that way like hey i should mm-hmm. if i input this it should do that Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. It's it's more it's more of a relationship deal. You you gotta you gotta you know give a little and take a little and and back and forth you go and it's it, you work things out that way. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what I I love about them, and this whole journey is it's just a great journey. Loving it. So another another mulemanship thought. You know, uh, one of the key phrases that you know brad would say a million times and his mentors would say a million times and i say a million times is making the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult so what does that what does that mean to you what what what's how does your mind work when you're trying to understand that concept what making the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult yeah i don't really make the wrong thing that difficult uh like I don't get after them I will kind of correct if I need a little um I guess sometimes yeah if they kind of they might know a little bit better you might have to get in there but when you're first learning and they're first learning and you know when you got a cold going on 
you, you gotta overlook a few things. Like you gotta just keep kind of trying again, you know, and just offering it to them and making sure that they kind of understand what you're doing and not making a, a big mess of things because the, you know, you know, the stronger and more ramped up you get, the worse the meals are going to be for you. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just important to really praise. I praise my animals a lot and, uh, you know, they're, they, they know my voice and, um, you know, just making it nice and comfortable for them and, and not in a, in a bad situation. Um, I, you know, people are always afraid to kind of get after their animals, but, you know, if you need to kind of correct them a little bit and it's a little bit more than you normally do, then, then they kind of are okay with it and away they go. But, uh, you know, I don't tend to make things really difficult for them because that just ends up in a wreck. <laughs> and mad <laughs> mad right and then they just shut down and i had to learn that over the years that took me a while because you know you're like come on you're gonna do this and then the mule teaches you that you need to rethink what you're doing and um get back in there and try something different so you do and then it works and you're like okay i just needed to calm down and just you know come back the next time so yeah making the the right thing easy is is very important for them because then they're excited to uh go forward with you and learn more and understand what you're teaching them that's a great explanation you know i heard somebody put it this way um and i don't remember who who told me this but I, but I just, I, I hung on to it and I say it at my clinics is make the right thing easier, easier. Yes. And, yes. and focus on that because I feel like a lot of people, when you say make the right thing easy, wrong thing, difficult, it's that last part that they really hang on to. Oh, we can make it difficult. And we're humans. We're pretty vile. <laughs> you know, we can do some nasty things and, and, uh, you know, and, and people are like, oh, well, we can make it hard, you know, but. Making the right thing easier is what I think sets apart the really good, the really good horsemen and women from from the not so much. Um, so I like that explanation. That's good. Thanks. So yeah. Um, towards the end of my my every every one of my clinics are, or excuse me, every one of my podcasts here, I like to ask your advice that you would give to somebody uh, going down this road, going down this mulemanship journey. Um, and it can be anything. I've had some people just give one line or some people go on for as long as they want. But what what's some advice that you'd give to somebody in this in this life dealing with mules and horses and equine? What would you tell them? I'd say keep learning. Keep learning. Keep uh, bettering yourself. Um, even if it's just uh, little things throughout the day, trying to hone in on the skills and why things are happening. Um, have uh, and also have some some compassion for your animal and some uh, be empathetic with them because they don't understand what you're up to. Um, so making it uh, thinking more inside and inside their brain a little bit and making them understand things and having hoping and helping them understand things is, is the way it is uh, would make it easier for them. Um, also um, just, keep keep doing keep doing easy things and and making it nice and there was some other things i wanted to say here but i i but the last one i wanted to say was take a ts mule clinic that's <laughs> to better yourself for sure but yeah just just being um 
put your mule first, put your mule first. And why is he, you know, if he's acting up, look within yourself and see if there's something that you can do yourself to better your animal and how he reacts to things and, and your journey. But just keep on learning. Never stop learning. Yeah. Uh, those are all, those are all really great pieces. I mean, we could expound on every one of those, but it's clear. It's obvious that knowledge is important to you, you know, for your willingness to go, go travel and all those years with Brad and, and, you know, now you're still learning, you're still continuing, you, you read, you, you know, you do these things and, and, uh, you're right. Knowledge is important. And, and, you know, that's one of the very few things we get to take with us when we leave this earth, right. Is what yeah. we've learned and our experiences here. So, Tell people, go learn as much as you can. Go experience as much as you can. And mm -hmm. that's what that's what you get to take with you. You know, that's that's yeah. what you got. That's the that's what you have. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'm a person. So I really like to be hands-on with my animals or go on clinics and things versus reading stuff. But... Oh, yeah. Well, with with equine, you, you got to get on and ride. You got to you got to go do it. You can read all you want. You can sit in the house by the fire. And read and watch videos and and read the latest Facebook post that goes crazy, <laughs> but you yeah. you got to get out there and do something if you really want to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I guess one other thing is just be careful what you learn on the internet. You know, there's a <laughs> lot of really crazy stuff out there, so you got to take that with a grain of salt. And um, yeah, you mean All Google? Your... You mean Google isn't all knowing and truthful? <laughs> thought i could learn everything on google i know well there's certainly a lot of information out there we mm -hmm. get uh i'm sure you get a lot of that too just some really weird techniques but that's okay Each yeah when i first started doing clinics uh which is is about 11 years ago it you know it yeah all kind i'd see all kinds of things all kinds of you know uh, just a huge sway of things but you know th these days i don't know i think just because people know I guess they're coming to a clinic for a unique reason. It's, you know, it's not just a shotgun blast mule, mule clinic. It's yeah. a certain style. And I, and I get people that are more interested in, in this specific style. You know, the things that we just talked about, you know, continuing to learn, making the right thing easier, you know, that type of mindset versus the, you know, I first started and partly because I didn't charge much or anything. And so people would just bring me stuff that I'm, I'm pretty sure they just wanted to get me killed. I'm pretty sure they wanted to see, they, they brought something to get me hurt, you know, yeah. which says yeah. a lot about that type of person. You know, looking back now, I'm like, it, that person's got to be in a pretty dark place to bring, you know, a, you know, and I was just a young feller. I still am a young feller, but um, bring something purposely to see me get, get hurt. You know, they, they really wanted to see a wreck. And, but these days I don't get that. I don't get that anymore. It's, it's very sincere. People really wanting to get better. And, uh, I'm really glad <laughs> because oh, those, yeah. those first perfect. days were rough. They were yeah. Rough. Yeah. But, they were... but I guess you got to start somewhere. So, Hey, um, well, Karen, is there anything else you'd like to, to share anything else before we, before we sign off here? I know you got to get back to your day and everything, but is there anything else you'd like to share before we head out? Oh, I'd just like to share. Thank you so much for inviting me yeah. here on this podcast today. I was, I'm very thrilled to be able to talk to you and very honored. And um, 
I'm just uh, very thankful that you do what you do for everyone. I'm very excited and and I know that there's someone out there kind of like Brad and, and everybody that's got this great technique that's going to teach people some very wonderful things. So thank you for what you do for all of us and, and the mules as well. I really want to thank you. Absolutely, Karen. Well, I appreciate that. Appreciate those words. Um, before we sign off, um, where can say again your website so everybody can write that down and share your Facebook and all that? How how can people get a hold of you? All the different ways. Oh, okay. Um, my website is www.rockymountainmules.com. You can find me on Facebook, Rocky Mountain Mule and Saddle Company, and also on uh, Instagram, RM Mules. So I'm there, and that's where you can catch me at any time. Love to speak to whoever wants to call me. Yep, you always got cool pictures on there. You got some good pictures. Thank you. You, know, you always get you got those those mountains in the background and and all those that country. It's just amazing. So yeah. I'm very fortunate to live here. I love it here. It's it's uh, a very very well. It could be a little less snowy and stuff, but you know you got to take it with the scenery. So. Well, too it's, many people would move there. Then you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Karen. And all you guys listen out there, if you'd be so kind as to leave us a review on, especially if you're listening on Apple podcasts, leave a, make sure Karen gets a five-star review. She deserves it for this episode. And, uh, and tell us what you think. We'd love to hear your comments and you can always send in your questions uh, to tie at tsmules.com. And of course you can find information about clinics and all that good stuff at tsmules.com on the web. Um, but anyways, thank you so much for listening, everybody. God bless you all, and we will see you down the road. Okay, friends, I got to tell you about Boyd Ranch Mule Days in sunny Wickenburg, Arizona. Coming up March 6th through the 12th, 2023. It's right around the corner, you guys. You got to join us for this. We got a clinic ourselves we're putting on March 6th through the 8th. Uh, also, my good buddy Chris Clark, an amazing Grand Canyon Packer, um, he's doing a clinic there. And we did a podcast episode with him uh, a few episodes back. Uh, check it out. Chris Clark, him and his wife Marisa are just fantastic people. And he's doing a three-day packing clinic out along the Hasayampa River. Hope I said that right, Scott. Um, and uh, it's a great time. You know, Scott Stewart, Lisa Taka, a whole bunch of other people, they do an incredible job putting this Mule Days on. Uh, there's trail rides every day, you guys. Short, long, ultra long, uh, dang good food, dinner, breakfast, uh, this year they got some Nashville songwriters um, and amazing artists coming to entertain us. Uh, we have a good time dancing. My girls love to dance there. We have a great time. Just a, a wonderful experience. They got a mule ramble. They got a trail course. And all the proceeds from this Mule Days goes to benefit children's programs there at Boyd Ranch. Uh, a great opportunity to give back to the youth. Um, and we love the kids coming up. We want to continue this legacy. So we would love if you would come support Mule Days at Boyd Ranch. Um, 
For more information, go to boydranch.org. Look it up on social media, Boyd Ranch Mule Days. Uh, just come enjoy your time with us. We would love to see you there. Thank you.